Hello, welcome to the Grace Life Podcast. The message you're about to hear, if diligently applied, will absolutely change your life. We're praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, thereby allowing the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. Now let's join the service already in progress with Pastor West. Possessing the promise. <clears throat> I always thought Brother Hagin, I didn't, I didn't know why he would say that. He'd say um, 25 years ago, he said, if you really want a church to get something, he said, you'll have to preach the same thing, don't change it, use all the same scriptures, use every illustration the same, and preach it no less than 25 times, or they will not get it. And he says, and you won't get it, and you're the one studied for it. That's what he's talking about. So... Uh, to my possessing the promise, and uh, um, I don't know if y'all know who Lynn Hammond is. Her husband's Matt Hammond, and they're Raymond graduates, and they, they got a, a little bitty church, a few thousand people up in uh, Minnesota. And she's uh, <clears throat> she has a prayer network, and what I say about network, she's, uh, uh, I think, or she used to, um, she has daily prayer in the church, and then she has a, a network of those around the world that pray with them. And she does a lot of speaking on that subject, but the, in other conferences also. Anyway, she wrote a book years ago called The Master's Calling. And I just want to read a little bit out of that book because it has to do with uh, um, having the mindset of, of a person, um, what we're talking about doing, possessing the promise. And Sunday, we'll talk a little bit more about it uh, in the sense of, and I think I alluded to it our last time together, was uh, partnering with the Holy Spirit. We're already partnering with him, but uh, in a big sense of it being in our thinking. But in the context of prayer is what she's talking about it. So uh, I may skip around a little bit to things that are pertinent, but uh, she's coming out of a place to call a, a fellowship. And she says in Second Timothy chapter three, uh, one through five, she says, "Know this that in the, uh, well." She's quoting scripture: "The last days, perilous times will come, and men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers." Gives a whole list of folks and uh, the attitudes that are are present. In the end times, despisers of those who that are good, traitors, heady-minded, lovers of pleasures more than of God. Paul, through Timothy, uh, in T- Timothy to the letter at Timothy, he said, uh, the, "You'll know this, you'll because you'll see in the last days there'll be a form of godliness, a form of it, but denying the power thereof." He says, "When you when you find people like that, he says, turn away from them." That's strong talking. They have, a, he said, they, they'll sound, they'll look godly, sound godly. They'll have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God. He says, from from such, turn away. So she says, judging strictly by appearances, it might seem that the Church of Jesus Christ is doing quite well in the area of prayer these days. She says, pick almost any church bulletin in any city, and you'll find listed uh, prayer meetings, lunch, prayer luncheons, prayer requests, the printed page, uh, the uh, printed prayer of the week 
walk into the church service, you'll hear at least one prayer and probably two or three before it's done. Listen in on the conversation of Christians and you'll hear them say, I need you to pray for me. Or no doubt you'll hear the same response every time, oh yes, I will, I will. One would think with, with all this talk about prayer that the windows of heaven would be open wide, spilling the blessing of God upon us. Jesus plainly promised that whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Should be swimming in the waves of revival, prosperity, healing, and miracles of every sort. Our every conversation should be overflowing with joyful reports of answered prayer. The church should be bursting forth with such earth-shaking evidence of God's mighty deliverance power. And sinners should be banging on our doors by thousands, begging us to show them the way of salvation. So she's saying there's so much about talk of prayer and so much prayer that's going on. It seems like this would be the order of the day. She says, clearly, however, this is not the case. She said, I don't mean to say we've seen no results from our praying. She said, there have been glimmers and even lightning strikes of the power and presence of God throughout the earth. There have been people praying and even praying congregations here and there who have moved mountains as they lifted their hearts to God, and every day their numbers are increasing. Yet even so, we must admit that our day, the church as a whole, has not experienced what the Bible's promise would come to us through prayer. Uh, corporately, we have not seen building shake under the power of God We, as we have united in prayer like the church did in Acts 4. Individually, we have not been able to speak with absolute certainty the words of the Apostle John. His words was, this is the confidence that we have in him if we ask anything according to his will. We know that he hears us and we know we have the petitions that we desire of him. Of course, that's 1 John 5, 14, 15. As a result, many Christians have allowed prayer to slip from their list of priorities. One survey points that the average Christian invests less than two minutes a day at prayer. Many others have struggled through the disappointments of unanswered prayer, trying to explain away their lack of results with theological arguments. Well, they say perhaps it simply wasn't God's will this time. She said, but I believe that every true Christian knows deep in their heart that despite what the theologians say, our problem is that God is is not that God is saying a, a loving no to many of our requests. It's that our prayers too often lack the depth that heaven, heaven requires. They seem to come from the head, not the heart. Instead of being propelled from our spirits toward God with the earnestness and faith that cannot be denied, they often wobble, our prayers do, from our uncertain lips and fall helplessly to the floor. Our prayers seem to have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. In times past, we were fooled by that form. We were like the shopper standing in the department store who sees the mannequin out of the corner of his eye and thinking of a split second the mannequin is real turns to speak to it. But praise God, we're not being fooled anymore. We're, we've looked that prayer mannequin square in the face and said, you're not the real thing. We've turned our faces toward God and began crying out as his disciples did 2,000 years ago. And they said, asked Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he's answering us. He's restoring us to not just the principles and the mechanic, but the very spirit of prayer. It is the spirit that we most desperately need. Now, I'm, she's coming from a context of prayer, which is um, absolutely why well, I want to cover that also. I'm, I'm coming from a place of going from possessing a promise by partnering with the Holy Spirit. She's talking about people have been taught very well the mechanics of prayer or the mechanics of the word and that probably would more be more in line with word people than anybody. But the danger of that is that we know the form of it. 
we, we know the mechanics of it probably better than any people on the face of the earth but yet without the results and so this is what she's speaking of here she says <clears throat> it is the spirit that we most desperately need for although principles and formulas are valuable teaching tools many times we have focused on them to the exclusion of God himself we have unwittingly grieved his tender spirit by approaching him almost as if he were a machine instead of a person. We followed step-by-step formulas as though by systematically pushing scriptural buttons and pulling a spiritual lever, we would get him to produce the results that we desire. Most of us have recognized the truth that it takes faith to receive from God, so we've studied the Bible, confessed particular scriptures over and over, memorized every key to this to spiritual success yet many times instead of causing us to flourish in faith and prayer our endeavors have left us dry and spiritless but why is that is it because that we can't have real faith by by knowing principles real faith comes from knowing the person behind the principle that's why the apostle paul in the in his greatest statement of faith wrote these words. Second Timothy 1.12, he says, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he whom I know is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against this day. Paul didn't say, I know what I believed. He didn't say, I know the principles and steps I believed. He said, I know the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew Jesus because he fellowshiped with him. And that fellowship gave Paul an unshakable confidence in his word. Faith and fellowship with God are inseparable. She says, notice I said fellowship, not relationship. They're not one and the same. A man and a woman could walk down an aisle, have a minister marry them. Legally, they'd have a relationship. If they never spoke another word to each other, they, they would be related by law as husband and wife. Does that mean they know each other? Does it mean they have fellowship? No. By the same token, every person who's been born again has a relationship with God. But not everyone who's been born again has fellowship with God. A great many people come to the altar, shake hands with Jesus, and say, I receive you as my Savior. He welcomes them to the family, but there the fellowship stops. That kind of experience does not bring the abundant life. It will get us to heaven when we die, but it will not bring forth the Zoe, the prayer-inspiring God kind of life that Jesus intended for us to have. But what will produce this quality of life? Jesus tells us in John 17, 3, he says, and this is life eternal, that you may know the true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So eternal life comes from knowing God that would be the relationship and having fellowship some will say I know God because I know his word but let me tell you it's possible to know the book backwards and forwards and still not know the author that was true well I mean I mean, I, I know who Lynn Hammond is she walked in the room or I, I see her on TV I know who she is she didn't have a clue who I am so so do I have a, a, a I don't have a relationship or fellowship with her. I just know her. <clears throat> I never knew this um, 
until after she had passed. Uh, Lynn's sister used to live in Montgomery, and uh, her and Billy Brim did a lot in prayer. And we had uh, Steve uh, Sampson, which will be in Tuscaloosa Sunday night. We're going to go over there. But uh, uh, Lynn's sister, uh, Lucy, came. Uh, Lucy passed away in 2010. She came to the church in Clanton with us. And uh, her and, oh gosh, Lynn's been all over the world teaching on prayer. And uh, Steve said, you didn't know who that was in your service night. I said, no. He said, that's Lynn Hammond's sister sitting out over there. And, and he could tell a lot of jokes. And I said, do you know any more jokes? He says, you want to meet her? And I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, that's, that's Lucy Hammond is. I mean, or Lucy uh, Pender, I think her last name was. No, McKee is what her last name was. But anyway, she, she passed in 2010. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, he said, uh, so it's possible to know the, the book back and forwards, but you still don't know the author. This was true of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They knew the scriptures thoroughly, yet Jesus said to them, the Father who sent me, this is Jesus, the Father who has sent me himself concerning me, not one of you has ever given ear to his voice or seen his form. You've never seen his face, what he's like. You have always been deaf to his voice, and you are blind to the vision of him. This is speaking, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, those who are supposed, supposedly the most religious people on the planet. You have not, you've never heard his word, his thoughts not living in your hearts because you do not believe and adhere to your trust and rely on him who he has sent. This is why you do not keep his message living in you because you don't believe in the message whom he has sent. You search. Now listen, it's this, this the Pharisee. Jesus said, you, you search and investigate. You pour over the scriptures diligently because you suppose and trust that you have eternal life through them. And these very scriptures that you pour over testify about me. And you still are unwilling but refuse to come to me so that you might have life. So you couldn't say they don't know the scriptures, right? But they don't know him. And they didn't receive him. And they didn't know God. She says, please understand, I am a word person. And I love the word of God. But if you try to apply the word without fellowship in the person of the spirit of God, himself, your life, and your prayers will be dry. And your prayers will be powerless. That is because it's the Holy Spirit who quickens the word to you. It is God himself, the person and the power behind the word, which makes it come to life. You can see this truth, and this is uh, where we've been ministering right here, uh, <clears throat> about coming out of uh, Egypt. You can see this truth born out in the lives of Old Testament heroes, Caleb and Joshua. They were sent out as spies along the ten other leaders of the nation of Israel to scout out the promised land. If you read through the book of Exodus, you'll find that God spoke many times to the Israelites, and this is what he said, I've given you the promised land. Now our thing is what? We want to possess what? Possess the promise. So many times, if you read through Exodus, you'll find God saying to the Israelites, I, give, I have given you the promised land. This land flows with milk and honey. I'll deliver all of its people into your hands. Every single Israelite had heard the promise from God again and again and again. Yet, when 12 spies were sent into the land, 10 of them came back with the evil report. They said, we came to the land to which you sent us. 
It does flow with milk and honey, but it is the land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it were men of great stature. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we are in their sight. Caleb and Joshua, on the other hand, had an entirely different perspective. So they're, as you know, they're part of the 12, right? And, and the 12 of them went over together. And uh, their, their perspective is this. They brought back words of encouragement. And this is what they said. They said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to conquer it. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land. He will give us this land. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord, neither fear the people of the land, for, for those people are bred for us. Their defense and the shadow of protection is removed from over them, but the Lord is with us, so fear them not. So this is what Joshua and Caleb said. Now here's a good question. Why the difference? There's 12 of them. What made the difference? There's, there's two people here. That, I mean, they all had the same experiences, right? You could raise 10 kids in your home and they'd all be different, right? And they all exposed the same thing. They all eat the same table. They all heard the same thing. I mean, we're kidding. I always said growing up that we all had a drug problem because mama drug us to church every time the doors open. <laughs> I'm glad she did, but I'm just saying, but you, you could have that and, and they would all be different. They all had heard the same thing over and over and over and over again. Did not all of these 12, along with the other millions, didn't God deliver them from Egypt? Didn't they all see signs and wonders that no human has seen from that day to this day? Those kind of miracles? <clears throat> so she asked the question, she said, what made the difference? All 12 leaders had heard the word of the Lord. All of them knew the promise. All of them had the same potential. All of them had the same opportunity in front of them. I'm injecting again, 2018, possessing the what? Promise. Why does Caleb and Joshua have faith in God's promise and the others don't have that? You will find the answer to this question by looking at an event that took place early in Joshua's life when the Israelites had come out of Egypt at that time. Now, if you will make a notes and you want to read it, I'm going to read it, but if you will make a notes, it's in Exodus 33, 7 through 11. And I think she's using the Amplified here, but uh, here's what it says. Moses used to take his own tent and pitch it outside the camp, far away from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting of God with his own people. Everyone who sought the Lord went out to that temporary tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. When Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people rose and stood. Every man went to his tent door and looked after Moses until he had gone into this tent. When Moses entered the tent, the tent of meeting, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the door of the tent and the Lord would talk to Moses. Watch here. All the people saw this pillar of clouds stand at the tent door, and all the people rose up and worshiped. Every man at his tent door. And the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses returned to the camp, 
But his minister Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tent. Now this is the, this is the people, right? We're grasshoppers. Not only did they the miracles of Egypt, but here, I mean, can I mean I, I'm trying to get a picture of them watching Moses go to this this tent. He's temporary tent. These periods, and then they're watching him. So it's just known when Moses is walking there, you get outside the tent and you stand at your tent door, and you watch him go in there. And when he goes in there. The glory descends down upon that tent, and God speaks to Moses inside the tent, and you, you're to worship the Lord while he's in there, standing at your door. He comes out when he comes out, and he walks past him, and they go back in your tent and make a banana sandwich, I guess. I don't know. And they go on with life. I don't know. Sometimes people say, well, you know, if we just had miracles, people would believe. These people aren't moved by miracles at all. Huh? I mean, they're watching the glory come down as a cloud upon the tent. Every time he goes in there and they talk face to face, they're like, yeah, he does that every, he does that every, every week when he goes in there. Well, there's Canaan. Yeah, we can't do that, though. <clears throat> um, so anyway, he said, so Moses would come out of the tent. He'd go back to the camp. But his minister, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the temporary prayer tent. Think of that. Joshua was so hungry for God that he wouldn't leave the prayer tent. As a result, he not only heard God's words, but he also knew and experienced God's presence. That's why he was so bold and full of faith, even when confronted with the giants of Canaan. The same was true of Caleb. God said that Caleb had a different spirit from the other 10 leaders. He followed God fully. That's uh, Numbers 14, 24. This is God speaking of Joshua. He said, Caleb has a different spirit. He, will, he follows me fully. Caleb and Joshua sought God. They were hungry for him. They didn't just follow after his blessings. They didn't just hunger after his promises. They wanted him. Paul said it this way about himself in Philippians 3.10. For my determined purposes that I may know him. The uh, commentators that I read after said this is probably 25 to 30 years after Damascus experience. And Paul says, I want to know him. Like you don't know him. I want to know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. So the attitude and purpose is the very foundation of vibrant, powerful prayer. Without it, even the most mechanically correct, properly principled, principled prayer will be little more than straws in the wind. So you see, you can have the form of godliness. You're going to understand faith and the mechanics of faith. And God's pleased with faith. And this is how we ask. And we ask according to his will. And we speak his word. And the words, what we speak is important. And all that's important. We can have all the form and not the spirit. Okay, all right. Uh, for it is not just the mouth and the mind that prays. It's our life that prays. If that life is not the eternal, God kind of life that springs from a heartfelt desire to know Jesus, 
Your prayers will lack force and substance. They will not be the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man that makes tremendous power available, dynamic in his work in James 5.16. When deep calls to deep, which is real praying comes from a hungry heart for God. It comes when we say like David did in Psalms 42, as the heart pants and longs for the water brooks, so I, have, so I pant and long for you, O God. My inner self thirsts for God, for the living God, roaring deep calls to roaring deep at the thunder of your water spouts. All your breakers and your rolling waves have gone over me. When a person is spiritually hungry, the deepest part of his spirit begins to call out to God for something to fill that hunger. We might not even know what it is he's calling for, but God knows. And the cry touches the depths of his heart and causes him to respond. Um, Lynn said, this is how I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. At the time, she said, I didn't even know there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'd been born again for only a short time. I'd never heard of speaking in tongues. I knew nothing of the glory. I knew nothing of the manifested presence of God. Even so, my heart was yearning after God. I wanted to know him. I longed to be able to fellowship with him and pray. My heart cried and sobbed. My spirit wept for God, but I had no idea what to do about it. I would pray as far as I could with my understanding, but when I had said all that I knew to say, I could still feel my heart aching out for more. She said it was so frustrating to me that all I could say was, God, help me. Day after day, the deep in me cried out to him. Yet instead of easing my hunger, it seemed that the more I cried out, the greater my longing became. Finally, one March night in 1972, it grew so strong I couldn't sleep. I climbed out of bed, wrapped my bathrobe around me, went into the den. Once again, she said, I cried out, help me, God. I'm so hungry for you. I just want to know you. I want to be able to talk to you. Please help me pray. Falling into a chair, she said, I began to sob. Then suddenly the power of God flooded the room. The deep in him answered the deep in me, and the presence shook me with great and overwhelming waves of glory. The fire of God fell on me until it felt as though my very skin was on fire. It was then that this beautiful language I didn't know started flowing like a river from me. It has started, it was, I was startled. Since I'd never heard anything about speaking in tongues, yet the joy of the Lord so filled my soul, I knew this had to be from him. In the years since, I looked back on the experience and I wondered about it. Lord, I asked, why did you feel me that night? Because you were willing, to, because you were calling out for it, he answered. You were hungry for it, and you always get what you're hungry for. I mean, you, know, you ever get off on an exit traveling or just in town or whatever, and you got several choices of restaurants, fast food or whatever it is, and you're like, there's eight of them, and you pick one. It's just what seems right today, right? You get what you're hungry for. Spiritual hunger is an interesting thing, she said. It's, it's never really satisfied. The thing is, the more God you get, the more you want of him. You can't live on past experiences. You're always needing fresh manna from heaven. So it wasn't long after God ba gloriously baptized me in his spirit that I was seeking him again. It wasn't long before I was crying out, God, please reveal yourself to me more fully. Speak to my heart. Again, he answered in his sweet, wonderful way and said, Lynn, I am the God of the book. <laughs> I speak to you from the book. Do you think I let my Bible sit idly on my nightstand after I heard that? 
No, indeed, I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and sure enough, he started revealing himself to me. He revealed himself as the God who created the heavens and the earth. He revealed himself as the God who split the Red Sea. He revealed himself as the God who rained manna down from heaven for his children, healed the blind, the halt, the maimed. He revealed himself through the life of Jesus and through signs and wonders of acts. That was 20 years ago, and I'm still reading today, and he's still revealing himself today. I know him far more intimately than I do when I begin my life in him, yet I'm hungrier now than I was then. If you want true power in prayer, you must cultivate that kind of hunger. We must let the deep within us pray to call out to the deep in God. We must desire to know Jesus with such an intensity that every other desire pales beside it. I once read an account of a prayer meeting that took place among some old-time saints of God in the early 1900s. Got to hurry. All those in attendance was a woman named Lillian Thistlewaite. She was a great evangelist, and in her day, her soul cry and all her hunger was for the holiness of God. And she began to talk about her thirst for a sanctified life. She caught the attention of one man in particular, although he was a Christian man who revered God, he was, but by his own, own account, he was quite self-satisfied. He was happy, successful, had little desire for anything more, yet he saw in this saintly woman a quality that stirred his spirit. As he listened to her speak, he was overwhelmed with spiritual hunger, with a desire to have that which she possessed in God. He fell to his knees and began to pray. He prayed until the rafters shook. He prayed until it seemed that lightning flashed through the souls of everyone in that room. He prayed until the power of God came down, sanctified every life there, and in an instant changed them forever. That's what real spiritual hunger will do. And then she quotes Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I am convinced, she says, that it is the lack of of spiritual hunger that is at the very root of our powerlessness in prayer. It is the lack of spiritual hunger that is the root cause of powerlessness when we pray. It is not that we do not know the rules or principles of prayer. It's not that we haven't heard enough instruction on the mechanics of it. It is that we've been so full of ourselves and our interests that we have left little room for God to move. Even though we've been born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, in many ways we need to hear the same words that Paul wrote to the Ephesians church. In Ephesians 5.14, he said, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Those seem like strange words for Paul to say to Christians, especially when you consider that this church, the Ephesian church, possessed more spiritual knowledge than any other church of its day. Did you hear that part? Ephesians possessed more spiritual knowledge. How many like the book of Ephesians? It's probably my favorite in the of the epistles. They possess so they possess more spiritual knowledge than any other church of the day. Why did they need a wake up call? Revelations two, four, five tells you why. This is what it says of this spiritually knowledgeable church. But I have this one thing against you. You have left abandoned the love that you had at first. 
You have deserted me, your first love. Remember then from what heights you have fallen. Repent or else I will visit you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. A church full of knowledge. And I'll close here. The lampstand is the scripture. The lampstand in this scripture is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the source of power. He brings the anointing. If we allow our passion for Jesus to grow cold, even though he may have once been filled, even though we might have been once been filled with Holy Spirit's fire, we will lose our power in life and in prayer. That's why the Bible tells you not to be filled with the Holy Spirit just once, but to be ever, but to ever be filled and stimulated by him. Ephesians 5.18, the original Greek literally says it this way. We are to be being filled with the Spirit continuously. In other words, we must maintain the life of God with us. And we could do this simply. We can't do this by simply going to church a couple of times a week. You can't do it by fellowshipping with God at public gatherings of believers. We need to have a love affair with the Lord. And love affairs are never conducted in public. Well, there's... You know, <laughs> good point, isn't it? God is calling us to cultivate a relationship with him in which we fellowship with him constantly all day long. He not only wants us to bring our needs and desires and petitions before him, but also to live daily in union and communion with him. So there it is. The master's calling. Discovering the wonders of spirit-led prayer. So possessing the promise is more than saying we're going to possess the promise. It's more than just believing it. So when we talk about, I guess Sunday, when we talk a little bit about partnering with the Holy Spirit, we need to remember he's a person. <clears throat> and he's not looking for a way to, get to, to do it. He's not charting out a course to get us there. He already knows the course. But being in partner with him is being in fellowship with him, having a relationship with him. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, when he's the, he's the one in charge, and he should be, then we should be open for anything. Correction, right? Encouragement, rebuke, <laughs> you know, because, you know, rebuke's not that bad. If you understand the motivation of it, why, I mean, why would the Lord decide or, or discipline anyone? Love. He said, "If I don't discipline you, it's because I, I, I would I would hate you." He has other words. He uses the King James on that, but but uh, so we should welcome all of it: guidance, counsel, to be strengthened. He's the standby. John said, you know, in John sixteen, he's the intercessor. He's there to teach us. He's there to remind us. He's there to show us the way. He's also there to tell us this ain't right. He's also tell us that needs to come out of your life. You need to come out of this place, right? That's part of it. Because he wants you to possess the promise. But you and, all, you and I all know someone that we've tried to help. And you know, not in a legalistic way, that you're not going to, you know, they're, they're, they're just starting out. But you know that that's not the way to get here. And you're trying to tell them not that God's, he's not mad, he's not angry, he's not this, he's not that. But you'll never get here going from 
that way to here, the way. You can't do it that way, right? You can't work your way to it. You can't beg your way to it. You can't get enough people to pray with you to talk God into it. You know, there's, there's no such thing as getting a petition to, to change God's mind. I don't care how big your chain is and how much you cry. It just won't happen. But when you have something very serious happen to you, you, you will pray serious. I hope Barbara don't mind me keep doing it, but I, I'm still reminded that day because I was with her when he says, this is what we think it is. And if it is, your son could have 60 minutes to live, maybe two hours. Well, you know, you say, well, I'm going to pray. I just need to cut three more nails. I'm, no. I mean, that is, man, you're talking about a, a gut. I mean, just, man, just a nausea that, that hits you. Within, and then those words hit you that it could be this. And you say, what is that? Well, it's this. We don't know much about it. But, you know, we've, we've only had 35 cases in the, in the state. And half of them died in us giving us this medicine. And then he walks off <laughs> with, remember, you, you had to give consent for him to give it, but he still said, but uh, still 17 of those 35 died in the first two hours or less. You want us to give those drugs? And then he walked off. And that's a, boy, you're talking about feeling numb. So when you go to pray, you think you're praying an earnest, heartfelt prayer? Yeah. So... She was, and then I went to another part of the hospital because she got consumed by family, and, and I had to go to another place where there was none of them there. And, I mean, you get to the matter in a hurry, don't you? But I wonder some, sometimes if we just could, we're not really, you know what I'm saying. We could, we, we could, it, it could be the form of prayer. We, we could take an outline. We could say, well, right, this is how you do it. Father, in the name of Jesus, let's see, um, Okay, I'm supposed to worship him for just a few minutes before we get into the list. Okay, about seven minutes, they say. Because he's got a little ego problem and he needs to hear a bunch of praise and stuff. And so we give him that seven or eight minutes and tell him how much we, we love him. We're really wanting to get through with that, so we tell him, because we know we got a problem. But we know he needs this. So we give him what he needs so we can get what we need. No one here had thought that in that way but, but but we go through all that we might play a couple songs that we think that he's never heard of that he might like you know say you might want to put this on your playlist or have some angels do this one <laughs> you know and guys like wow awesome for him it's just all heart i mean for him it's just all heart he don't even care what your mistakes are because he's reading your heart your heart could be just perfect, you know, like David. He said, well, this man, this man actually had an affair and then had the man, had, had him killed. You know, it's one thing to have an affair, but to go ahead and just have the man killed. That's pretty bad, ain't it? And God says, this is the man who's after my, my heart and he will fulfill all of my word. What was he looking at? His heart. Did, did it cost David? It cost David big time. That stayed in David's family. David had family troubles forever. But he also had the seed of David, which is Jesus, come out of that family. And they said David's throne won't last forever. And then that's when you heard me use that verse in Jeremiah. God says, well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you that the seed of David, that throne will never come to an end. And the people say, no, David's family and lineage will not reign over Israel. And God says this. I'll tell you what. Um, I, I say that there'll be a, 
a perpetual night and day and day and night, and night and day and day and night. This is how it'll work. And if you can stop, you know, night coming after day and day after night, and he says, if you can stop that, then I'll talk to you about that other stuff that you say ain't going to happen. But if you can't stop me from doing day and night and night and day and night and day, he says, there's nothing to talk about. And however long you've been here, has there been night and day and night and day and day and night and night and day? And, and, and guess whose lineage is on the throne of Israel? And, and, and guess who's going to come back and take over the whole thing? And going to set up his earthly kingdom one day. Oh, yeah, just like God said way back there. Uh-huh. So <clears throat> just, I, I just want to put that in there before Sunday because that's, we don't want to just have the form. We want to have the real deal. And so this comes through fellowship, Right. You already have the relationship. When you're born again, you're a son or you're a daughter of God. But that doesn't mean we're, we're fellowshipping with him. That just means he knows us and we know something about him. And we can quote to him some of his word. And he's like, okay. But he's the only one that knows the heart. He's, he knows every thought that you and I have ever had. But more than that, he knows the motive. Hmm? There's a lot of things, good works that gets done. But, is, but he knows the motive of why the work's done. Hmm? Hmm? I mean, I just think little things I've dealt with over the years. I mean, I've had a few people through the years that I, uh, not in this building, but in other buildings, get started. I mean, it seems like that's when Satan brings all of it at the very beginning to see if he can just drown you in the first year. You know, if you'll put me onto your board, I'll do this, this, and this, but I'll need to sit here or here. And then, you know, one says, we'll need to talk about what you're going to be ministering. Well, you kind of know my personality. That's probably going to work with me. No way, right? You know, could you use the money? Oh, yeah, we could use that and more, right? But, you know, you'll be sitting right there, and then you'll be going with me over my, my sermons to, to let, you know, to get your okay to minister. Ain't never going to happen. That's never, ever going to happen. So God knows you could be the one who wrote the $10,000 check or the $25,000 check or the $100,000 or pay the building off, but he knows the reason why you did it. Right? So we want, we want more than form. We want a, we want a relationship.